0: You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jen. So, again, it is so great to have you with us this morning. Um, again on if you 're a guest with us on behalf of our entire church family we 're so glad that you have joined us in worshiping and seeking God together and My friends, it has been quite a week hasn 't it? So much has transpired, so much has happened since we worshipped together last week. the events on Wednesday night at Capitol Hill, um, the actions of our president, the actions of the rioters, the actions of congress uh, uh, possible impeachment coming tomorrow. There's literally something for everyone to be upset about, to feel anxious about, to be unsettled about, to be fearful about. And so I'd like to lead us in praying for our country, for our leadership, for ourselves, and for God to do his work in the midst of everything that we see going on. So would you join me as we ask the Lord to intervene and to do his work together. Lord, Again, I thank you for each person who is either watching or listening to this, either this morning or later on today or even later on this week. And God, we come to you as the one true God, and we thank you that you are everything you promised to be, you will do everything you promised to do, and you promise to never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, it has been an incredibly difficult time for us as a country this last week in particular Lord, we know from your word that violence and anger and hatred, that those are not what you call us to. You call us that as much as possible to live at peace with those around us. You call us to overcome evil with good. You call us to fight injustice. You call us to stand for what is right. Lord, we believe you do want us to be meaningfully involved in the political process, but you call us to do so in a way that is distinctive, in a way that points people to you. So Lord, more than ever, our country needs you. God, we pray for repentance. We pray for restoration, we pray for healing, we pray for wisdom for all of our leaders. Lord, we pray for a peaceful transition of power these next couple weeks as a new administration steps in. But Lord, we declare once again our need for you, our need for your power, our need for your work, our need for you to intervene. So Lord, would we know your word? Would we be sensitive and act on your will? Would we live out? what you call us to live out. Would we be salt and light in this desperately broken world that so needs you? Lord Jesus, we commit our country to you. We commit ourselves to you. We commit this time now to you in your word. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my friends, obviously, it has been a significant week and there's probably a heaviness that we're all doing business with and and in fairness, this passage we're going to look at this morning, is it's sobering. It's its a serious passage. But um, I hope you brought your sense of humor with you this morning, though, because I would like to deliberately shift gears as we prepare to dive into God's Word. And I think this is profoundly relevant to where we are right now as a country, as individuals, and certainly in our growth, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So hope you brought your sense of humor with you because... This last couple weeks, my wife Jamie and I closed on a very, very important real estate deal. And so I'd like to show you that real estate. So there it is. So we didn't buy the tree that you see in the picture, but we did buy some of this ground that you see in front of you. And I deliberately put something in the picture off to the right side there to give you a hint of what it was that we bought, what this important real estate deal was all about. Yeah, we bought cemetery plots these last couple of weeks. And that gravestone that you see is a marker for Jamie's dad and mom who were interned there at that cemetery just outside of Rainier. And you see, we're trying to do some pre-planning, and we've been talking about doing this for some time. But a couple of weeks ago, we very deliberately decided to make this trip to this cemetery. Just to remember Jamie's mom and dad, the one year anniversary of her mom's passing was this last Friday. So this is very much on our mind and has been on our minds. And so what do you do? You, You laugh, you cry. And we did some of both that day as we remembered her mom and dad. And as we bought these, these plots right next to that gravestone. In fact, Some of Jamie's family was doing the same thing that week, and so we were texting back and forth, hey, we're gonna be neighbors, you know, and trying to make, you know, some light of it. You know, you laugh and you cry, you do both with this sort of thing. But that being said, I'm always thinking about my sermons, sometimes weeks, sometimes months in advance of before we actually dive into the passage, like the passage we're in this morning. And as I was thinking about this passage this morning, as I'm standing in this cemetery, I'd really tried to enter the story of where we're going this morning. And I thought, you know, what would it be like if I lived in this place? Now, again, if the Lord doesn't come back before my life on this earth ends, then yes, I'll be, I'll be intern at the cemetery. But when that happens, when I die, I will be with the Lord. I won't actually be here. What remains of my body will be here. But that being said, in this life, if I lived in this cemetery... What would that be like? And I know that's kind of a weird question, but but there is a method to my madness here. Imagine I lived here, and it wasn't because I was the greenskeeper or I had a job there and happened to live there. It was because I lived there because there was no place else for me to go because I was so violent, I was so dangerous, I was so strong, I was so scary to everybody around me that in a sense I had been banished there, that this was the only place I could live, the only place where I could stay. Now, obviously that would be disturbing and disconcerting to any one of us. And as you began to tap into some of those emotions, now you begin To get a sense of this story that we're going to enter into here today. If you were with us last week, Jesus and the disciples got in a boat. They started to cross the Sea of Galilee, an enormous storm suddenly, you know, took shape and began pummeling them and sinking the boat, and Jesus miraculously stills the storm. But now this is the completion of that story. Now they reach the other side of the Sea of Galilee, And now we're gonna see these two men who will come out from basically a cemetery from the tombs there to confront Jesus and they are demon-possessed. Now, as soon as I say that, we have some business to do together. Whenever you talk about the reality of demonization, demon possession, the spirit world, people have a variety of reactions. On one hand, we can go to this extreme and we can just ignore it. We can deny it. We can choose to be ignorant about it, really. But the irony is, if you believe in God, if you believe in a God, even if you don't worship him, then why do you not believe in the spirit world that scripture so clearly talks about that comes with that reality? So when it comes to spiritual warfare, demonization, demon possessions, we just, we kind of write that off. Or we go to the other extreme and we make it a huge focus, we overemphasize it. We get too concerned about it in a sense. We get too focused on it. And we wanna avoid both extremes. And so we know and appreciate that whenever we come to a passage of scripture like this, it's gonna evoke necessarily a lot of questions, a lot of feelings, a lot of thoughts. And so we wanna remind you that um, with the sermon notes, if you go to our website, And if you, um, at the bottom of our footer, click on the sermon notes, that will take you to the notes for today, obviously. But also, we have a demonization paper that's been written up by our Gary Breshears that talks very practically and very comprehensively about this reality. What What does the Bible really say comprehensively about the spirit world, about spiritual warfare, about the realities of demons and and Satan and and what have you. We encourage you to download that, to read that. We're really not going to go into those details today because, as is the case with these stories we've been looking at, Matthew's emphasis isn't necessarily on the demon-possessed man. It's on Jesus and his identity. And so if you watched my Facebook sermon preview this week, I encouraged you to read this passage, and we showed this passage in our interactive lobby before we began our time of worship today. And I asked you to consider who is it that recognizes Jesus? And for those of you who haven't read this passage recently, didn't see it in our virtual lobby, I want you to be considering that as I now read this passage to you. So can we advance to the next slide, please? and we'll look at this together. This is Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through uh, 34. So let me, let me roll to that here. This is what it says. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs, or basically from the cemetery of that time, met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. And the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region." Now once again, just like last week, just a handful of verses, but these are so incredibly powerful, so incredibly relevant for your life and mine. So we're now going to just enter this story, and look at some of what's here. It tells us that they crossed the lake to the Gadarenes. Okay, now for most of us, that probably doesn't have much significance. And when I was in Israel, so many years ago this is the picture i took from my phone of the Gadarenes. it's that land you can see in the distance across the sea of galilee we never went to that region in our in our trip to israel and to the sea of galilee but that's kind of a picture of of what some of that landscape was like and again we're not super sure where in this area all these events took place there's two or three possibilities but we do know that if you cross to the other side of the lake in that time, in that season of life, in the Near East, in the first century, you are going to the wrong side of the tracks for any self-respecting Jew. We even see that dynamic in this story. There are unclean people that are there, Gentiles, non-Jews, unclean people. We have these two demon-possessed men who live in an unclean place surrounded by unclean animals inhabited by unclean animals spirits. This is not a place any self-respecting Jew would ever want to go. It was the wrong side of the tracks. So what is the wrong side of the tracks for you, for your frame of reference? Is there a place that would be unsettling, unnerving for you to go in our city? You know, this last week we needed to go into downtown Portland, and quite honestly, it's the first time I've been comprehensively through downtown Portland in almost a year. And I was amazed to see for myself personally how the landscape of our city has has changed, and not for the better. There's graffiti everywhere, boarded up windows everywhere. There's this feeling of tension that hangs over downtown. You see, Shops, stores closed up. I mean, it's an entirely different vibe than a year ago. And I'm not necessarily saying that's the wrong side of the tracks, but it sure helped me as I entered this story of, you know, what are those places where I wouldn't want to go or those places that would make me uncomfortable? That was what it meant for Jesus and the disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee and to go to this Gentile, this non-Jew area. But it reveals something to us about the heart of God that there is no wrong side of the tracks when it comes to entering into right relationship with Jesus. God's heart is for all people everywhere to be in right relationship with him through knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I think it's hugely significant that Jesus very purposefully crosses the lake and goes to an area where no self-respecting Jew would go because God's heart has always been for all people to come know him. So let's get back to our story here. So I asked you going into this, who is it that recognizes who Jesus really is? It's the demons. Look what they say here. What do you want with a son of God? There is no question of his identity. And that's so ironic because we'll spend some time here in just a bit looking at how the various Groups and individuals represented in this story respond to Jesus. The disciples themselves were still amazed and asking questions and trying to figure out who Jesus is. In fact, the, the verse that precedes this, the ending of our story last week says, they were amazed and said, who is this man that the wind and waves obey him? They're still wrestling and struggling in their progression of faith to figure out who Jesus is. The demons know exactly who he is. Do you? Do you truly recognize who Jesus is? Because that is at the heart of a faith that delivers. And there's a huge difference, obviously, between the disciples and the demons and what they recognize about Jesus and what it means that they believe in Jesus. But I think this is necessary for us to just take a second to talk about because we see this dynamic play out in our culture. What it means to believe in Jesus gets tossed around in so many different ways. But look how James, in the book of James in the New Testament, talks about this reality. To the folks, the churches that he's writing to, he says, you believe that there is one God. Good, Even the demons believe that and and shudder. So once again, the question stands, who is Jesus to you? Do you really recognize him for who he is? And when you say you believe in Jesus, what does that really mean? Because at the end of the day, well, demons believe in Jesus too in the sense that they recognize who he is. But obviously, a key difference between What the demons believe about Jesus and what the disciples believe about Jesus is is very different. To believe in Jesus as it's defined by Scripture means that you love him. You know him. You worship him. You trust him. You obey him. None of those things are true of demons. So when you say you recognize Jesus for who he really is, do you believe in him? Do you love him? Do you know him? Do you worship him? Do you Follow him. You know, these baptisms that we just saw, oh, I love baptisms because I love Jesus' stories. And those folks who got baptized were saying by what they were doing, I believe in Jesus. I know and love Jesus. This is how he's changed my life. That's a fantastic example. All those stories, as different as they were, of illustrations of what it means to believe in Jesus. So, so let's go on. So these demon-possessed men come out and they confront Jesus. And the demons inside the men beg Jesus to let them go into the herd of pigs. Now there's so many things that we don't understand about this. So many questions that we have. I mean, obviously this is a power encounter. The demons encounter Jesus. They recognize him. And how do they respond? They beg him to let them go into these pigs. And so he does. And by the way, what's the outcome of this power encounter? Who's the strongest entity here? Well, it's Jesus, he's God. In fact, it's, it's no contest. He calms the storm by saying shut up and stay shut up. And it's instantly calm. He confronts demons or rather the demons try to confront him and with one word, he frees these men, he delivers them, and sends the demons into the pigs. Now again, a lot we don't understand about that. But everybody in this story responds to his power. So let's think about that a little bit with, with what we see here. So the demons, they respond to his power by begging to be driven into these pigs. And again, there's a lot we don't know about this. And Mark and Luke and their accounts of this story give us a little bit more detail. I mean, it, it it could be that they wanted to avoid being sent to hell, being sent to the abyss. And so they're asking for Jesus to send them into these animals so they can continue on in what they do, which is resisting God, opposing God, which again provokes all sorts of questions if that's the case. We don't really know, but what we do know is they, they go into these pigs, and then the pigs die. And interestingly, in response to all these pigs dying, the people, the townspeople, ask Jesus to leave. Now we have the disciples in this story, and the disciples are still trying to figure all this out. In fact, the story's silent about the disciples it doesn't tell us what they were doing and what they were thinking but presumably they're taking all this in just like they took in Jesus calming the storm and they're trying to make sense of it they're trying to figure it out who is this and I think in fairness we need to give the disciples the benefit of the doubt just like we need to give one another the benefit of the doubt because there is a necessary progression that happens in faith and in choosing to trust Jesus Christ, not only in that defining moment when you choose to cross over from death to life and receive him into your life as your Lord and Savior, but even from there, faith is a progressive, growing, ongoing thing. In fairness to disciples, they're asking questions. They're trying to figure this all out. There is certainly a place for us to be doing that as well. But let's look at the townspeople. My friends, this is one of the saddest verses in all of scripture to me. It says, the whole town went out to meet Jesus and when they saw him, They said, oh, we are so amazed by your power. Who are you? Tell us more about who you are. Thank you for freeing these demon-possessed guys. Thank you for this incredible miracle that you've done. You've solved our problem. We banished these guys to the tombs because no one could control them. No one could help them, but you've helped them. Thank you so much. By the way, who are you? Who do you claim to be? No. They don't respond that way at all. What do they say? They pleaded with him to leave Their region. And again, there are two very distinctive contrasts going on here. The disciples are amazed, amazed by Jesus calming the storm, presumably amazed by what he does here, and they want to know more. They're asking questions, they want to be with him. Versus the townspeople, who are, in all fairness, they're amazed and they're scared. And they ask Jesus to leave. And again, we have to do business with, why are they asking Jesus to leave? I mean, presumably they're scared. But also consider what happened. In Mark's account of this, he gives us more detail because he's focusing more on the response of the demon-possessed men and the townspeople. And he tells us that there were over 2,000 pigs in this herd. That was a massive herd of pigs. But also, that was a huge financial investment. These pigs were being raised for profit. So how do you think these townspeople responded to see all these pigs drowned and dead in the water? This was their investment, this was their money. And again, it's hard to get our our head around this and our hands around this, but by way of example, this, this last week, I was at the Toyota dealership. We had to take our Prius in to get it fixed. The fourth time for this same problem, we've had to go to this dealership to get this thing repaired. That's a whole nother sermon on patience and perseverance. All that being said, we're at this dealership. I'm looking around at literally hundreds, if not over a thousand cars. And as I'm entering this story, I'm thinking, okay, what happened if Jesus showed up here and all of a sudden, you know, he freed this demon-possessed guy who lived at the dealership and these demons went into these cars and they all crashed into one another and, and they were completely destroyed. How would the owners respond to that dealership? How would everybody at that dealership respond? Well, they, obviously they would be upset and that's analogous to what happened here, but, but it's so sad, their response. In their amazement, in their fear, instead of asking questions, instead of trying to figure it out, they just want Jesus to leave. And it's a sad commentary. They choose pigs over Jesus. They choose swine over the Savior. And how often do people do that with how they live their lives? Our world does that constantly. Chooses brokenness. Chooses to stay right where they're at in their brokenness instead of looking for deliverance, instead of looking for the solution in the God who can heal and bring restoration and redemption and repair and hope. Hmm. And then, of course, we see the demon-possessed men. Now, Mark and Luke describe one guy, and it's probably because they single out the one guy as the spokesman. But here in Matthew, we're told there are are two guys. And it really doesn't tell us much about them other than they've been freed and delivered. And so for the rest of the story, because Mark and Luke give us more detail about these guys and about the spokesman in particular, I just want to go to the account of Mark because I think it helps us understand what it means to respond to a faith that delivers. So this is... Mark's version of how the story ends. As Jesus was getting into the boat, so he's already performed the miracle, freed the men, the man who had been demon possessed, the spokesman, begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the men went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So he goes to that entire region and tells his Jesus story. And so what he models for us is that a faith that delivers is a faith that means we entrust ourselves to God. He's been freed, he's been delivered, and now he wants to be with him. Again, you heard this in the baptism life change stories. Everyone you heard this morning who got baptized last week, talked about, man, I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to follow him. And that's what a faith that delivers means, is once you accept, you receive Jesus Christ into your life as your Lord and Savior, man, you want to be with him. You want to be with this God who loves you, who forgives you, who empowers you, who calls forth his image from you so that you can have peace and perspective and hope and live the life that he always intended for you to live and so this guy wants to be with jesus and i think it's important for us to really get our hands around this and understand this my friends jesus is not looking for fans he's looking for followers he's looking for people who will not just give lip service to believing him. He's looking for people who will choose to follow him and will believe him by trusting and obeying him, by responding to his spirit in their lives, by choosing to believe him for what he says and what he promises. Is that you? In fact, let's back up for a minute and think about the various responses in this story. I hope you're like the disciples. Where in your faith journey, you're asking questions, you're trying to figure things out, but you're trying to follow Jesus. And if you haven't made that defining moment choice to step over from death to life and to choose to believe in him, I hope you make that choice this morning. And if you're not quite ready to do that, I hope that you will not stop watching these sermons and this entering into this worship time Hope you will continue to read your Bible. Hope you will begin or continue to think critically, to ask hard questions. Because that's not a lack of faith. That's a sign that you are progressing in your faith journey. Or Maybe you're like the townspeople. All this stuff kind of weirds you out a little bit and you're not sure what to do with it. My encouragement to you is don't be like them and ask Jesus to Leave by walking away, by stopping from asking the hard questions, by choosing to not watch this worship time and enter into this worship time and time in God's Word, or to stop reading your Bible. Man, don't respond that way. Be amazed. But let that amazement compel you, propel you to continue to ask questions, to be open to God revealing himself to you. And some people, quite frankly, will choose to live like the demons. They'll continue to pursue their brokenness, to resist God, to pursue evil. And there's a very sobering warning in this passage. It's kind of embedded and lurking in there. But the reality of how the demons respond to Jesus shows that there will be an end to evil someday. Someday God will right all wrongs. He will rightfully judge brokenness. And he will execute judgment. And so my friends, please do not miss the warning here. You don't have to live like that. And that's the encouragement that we see from these demon-possessed men. They didn't even ask to be freed. Do you get that? They just came out to confront Jesus, compelled by the demons inside of them. And Jesus, at a word, frees them. They didn't even ask to be freed, and yet he delivers them. That's the kind of God this God is. Sometimes you don't even have to ask for him to act and move in your life. It's amazing. It's, it's a tremendous example of his, of his grace. So, my friends, what has He delivered you from? What has He delivered you to? Because if you know Jesus, you have a deliverance story. Very clearly in God's word, it says this in Colossians chapter one. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Every single one of us has a deliverance story. And so like the guy who was freed from the demons, man, we need to tell that deliverance story. If we fast forward to Matthew chapter 15, Jesus will come back to the same area again. He'll perform another miracle. He'll feed over 4,000 people. Do you know why there were 4,000 people who gathered to hear him and respond to him? Could it be in part because this man told his story of what Jesus had done for him? And people wanted to see it for themselves? We don't know that for sure, but it makes me wonder. Because it does tell us that this man went and told his story. And my friends, you have a story to tell. But unfortunately for some of you, you don't think it's a story worth telling. You don't have this amazing story of Jesus freeing you from all these demons or Jesus freeing you from this life of drugs and addiction or Jesus freeing you from whatever you would... Right in the blank there that you think is extraordinary or worthy of telling other people. I, I've, I've been amazed at the number of people I've talked to as a pastor through the years who know Jesus who think they don't have a story to tell because it's, it's not like someone else's story. And honestly, there was a season in my life where I felt like I didn't have much of a story to tell either because when I met Jesus as a high school student at a young life camp, at that point in my life, you know, I was, I was a pretty good kid, got good grades, mostly stayed out of trouble. But I was on the verge of making some profoundly significant broken choices in my life. In the circle of friends I ran in, you know, we weren't into drugs. In fact, we universally, you know, were against that. We all thought, you know, that we're not going to do that. But man, just starting to enter the party scene, lots of drinking, lots of sleeping around, lots of broken life choices, The crowd I was in was beginning to head that way. I hadn't gone that way yet, but I was thinking about it because that's what my friends were doing. And then Jesus found me, or I found Jesus, actually. Both happened. And my life changed. And several years ago at college, I ran into one of those friends. And I really think this was God's work in my life for him to bring this man back into my life. I hadn't seen him for six years. He was a friend who ran in that circle. His, his name was Gary. We'll call him Gary. And Gary and I were talking and catching up. And I just began to quiz him about all my friends in that circle at that point in my life when I was in high school, you know, what, what happened to him and what happened to him and okay, that guy got into drugs and that guy's in the party scene and basically drinking his life away and that guy got his girlfriend pregnant and they moved in and they lived together and she had the baby and, and then he left her and now she's a single mom and he just began to go down this list of my friends and that wasn't the story of all of them but the vast majority of them were living profoundly broken lives and by any metric, by any standard, you and I would have probably reasonably thought to ourselves, wow, I I don't want to live like that. That's broken. There's so much pain there. And as I begin to think even more thoughtfully in that season about my deliverance story, you know, there's there's a deep insecurity that runs through the core of me that continues to find healing in Jesus Christ. It's this insecurity of people-pleasing, you know, and just the way my personality is wired, the way I'm wired, I am hardwired by God to welcome and respond to encouragement. That's a good thing. But sometimes those words of affirmation or even those words of criticism, they go too deep. And I forget that ultimately, I live for an audience of one. That's whose opinion matters most. And so I, I, I do battle with that. I, I wrestle with that, with people pleasing, with finding my security in Christ. And, but folks, That's all part of my deliverance story. And for those of you who know and love Jesus Christ, who are not fans, but followers, you have a deliverance story as well. And so are you telling that story? When's the last time you've told that story? I go through seasons where I don't get to tell that story, but this is true 100% of the time. This has happened year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day. Every single time I ask the Lord for an opportunity to tell my deliverance story, I always get the opportunity to do so. Sometimes it's the day of. Usually it's the week of. Sometimes it's a month that goes by, but he never fails to deliver an opportunity to tell my story. When is the last time you have asked the Lord for the opportunity to tell your story. In this season of life that our country is in, with all the turmoil, with all the chaos and uncertainty and fear, is there not a better time for us to tell our Jesus story than now? The hope he gives, the security we have, the perspective that we can anchor ourselves to, Because we know that the one true God is still at work. He's still bringing his kingdom. This story is a picture of what happens when God's kingdom invades this broken world and it's still happening to this day. Jesus is still delivering people. Has he delivered you? If he has, then tell that story. And we want you to hear just one more story of deliverance we have chosen to hire a new collegiate young adults pastor. His name is Adam Perkle. We brought him from Southern California. And ironically, he comes from the same church, same community that our producer Jacob Adler comes from. And so at my request, those two got together earlier this week and Jacob recorded Adam's Andrew's story because we want you to get to know Andrew as a new member of our church family and part of our, our team here at Grace. But as you listen to his story now... I want you to listen for the progression of faith. Because in Andrew's faith journey, in his faith story, there was this progression. And that's part of what it means to ultimately follow Jesus Christ. So let's welcome Andrew to our church family and let's hear his story together as we roll this video.
1: Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Andrew Perkle. I'm the new Collegiate Young Adults Pastor here at Grace Community Church. and I'm really excited to be here, uh, excited to be up here finally. Uh, and I'm just ready to meet everybody uh, all throughout the church, everyone. And yeah, so Jay asked me to share my Jesus story and a little bit about myself with you guys today. So here we go. I grew up in a divorced home. Uh, my parents split when I was around three years old and from that point on we were going to church regularly and i didn't decide that i wanted to go to church regularly until i was about seven years old and so that was when i really had a moment and asked christ into my heart uh, and asked my parents hey can i go to church weekly to the same church so i can get connected all of those things and from that then i started participating in the weekly groups in the camps and all those fun activities but then in junior high, I had a moment with Christ at summer camp where I was coming out of a rough year of life, and I realized, oh, Jesus desires me, Jesus desires uh, us as the church. Um, but I didn't know what that meant in reflection of being a Christian, but I knew that I was safe with him. So I really liked that and started going um, to church with a more serious attitude, but not necessarily understanding what was happening. But when I was 15, I had, again, a weird year of life um, and decided that I wanted to start going to church even with a more serious mindset um, and really try to understand why I was doing this, why I was going here, why I had spent from seven years old to 15 years old coming weekly and doing all these things past having friends there. So a period of about six months, things started to click, leaders poured into me, people Uh, help develop me and all of these things and that was where I really started to one take my relationship with Christ seriously and love him and desire him and just embrace everything that he offers and really learning what that means to then turn those things out to other people Uh, but also along with that that was when I started to feel the call of uh, a vocational ministry um, pursuing faith and just a job working with youth or whatever it really would be I didn't know at the point in time so since then I have been in church I've been in leadership I've been doing some different collegiate ministry opportunities from the church that I grew up in through um, summers up here in Oregon working with different collegiate ministries uh, through my college and different opportunities I had in the past five years uh, along with just some local outreach things I worked formerly with a high school ministry. I was the assistant to high school ministry and working with um, students, but I've also worked with junior high and elementary uh, and and, then collegiate ages throughout the summers and stuff like that. And yeah, um, long-term I want to be a church planner So currently in my life, um, I got married seven months ago. My wife, Montana, uh, we're probably in the audience somewhere if you guys are in person, so she's sitting next to me. Um, She's amazing and I hope that you guys get to meet her. Um, But yeah, feel free to come up to us, introduce yourselves. We're really excited to be here and can't wait to see what's gonna happen. Yeah. And He is the
0: Great I Am. He is the one true God and He asks people everywhere to follow Him so will you follow him I think one of the many differences between a fan and a follower is that a follower is willing to trust and obey Jesus even when it's hard even when it's difficult even when it challenges or threatens our comfort or what's familiar or what we want because at the end of the day God's way is always better than ours. And you see my friends, if you have received Jesus Christ into your life, you have a deliverance story. And now you have the power and presence of God in your life to live daily for Him. And one of the things that enables us to do that is the grace that He gives us. Grace is God's unearned, unmerited favor and presence for the sake of right relationship with him and the ability to serve him and others. And so I'd like to leave you with this verse out of Titus that is so timeless and so relevant and so good for us to hear once again. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, that's Jesus. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do good. My friends, more than ever, this watching, broken world needs to see Jesus' followers who will trust and love and obey him. We have a deliverance story to tell. So my prayer for you and for me is that we get to tell that story somehow, some way this week and that we live that story because of what he has done for us. Let me pray his blessing over you. God, thank you again for each person who is listening and watching this. Would you reach deeply into their hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit and remind them of what it means to follow you. And for those who are wrestling with and struggling with whether they should follow you or not, Lord, would you give them your grace? Would you remind them of what you've done for them? And would they choose to trust and follow you because of that very truth and reality? Lord, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you are the God who loves us. Thank you that you are the God who now goes with us as we go into the rest of our days, the rest of our week. May we live for you. Not as fans, but as followers. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So now go and live for Him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.